Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week one of the Big East Barroom. We're doing it for real this time. I'm Tyler Cassidy with my co-host, Ryan Cassidy, with a beautiful flag of Italy flying behind him this today. Um, It's also called a map, not a flag. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing well. It was a weird intro, but I appreciate you getting me in here. Uh, and I'm excited that, you know, some actual stuff happened. And we don't have to make up content. We can just talk about what the players are doing. Yep. I mean, a week of Big East basketball, every Big East team won this week. Big East was undefeated, if you don't count to Paul and Georgetown. Um, so that was a really good week for us. So, in other words, not every Big East team won. DePaul is currently sitting at 0-2. Um, the rest of the teams won. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is about as good of a week as the Big East could have hoped for um, outside of DePaul. I mean, if you only lose one game outside of DePaul, to the Big East, I think they're pretty happy. Really, nobody got caught. I'm terrible upset. Um, that's going to talk about, you know, we're not going to be talking about tournament resumes being affected at all this week, which is a really good thing, I think, for the Big East. I mean, Georgetown is – I don't agree with that. It's a good week for the most of Georgetown's the not going to the tournament no matter what, is my point. So – Now they're not. Well, yeah, but I don't think they were ever going to the tournament. So That seems a little – were you thinking Georgetown had a chance to make the tournament? Yeah, how many years in a row had Cooley's going to the tournament? That's that's ridiculous. That's an absurd take. And oh. I'm sorry, but you need to know that. Anyhow, so we are going to go through all 11 teams. No. We are going to do it in order of Big East opening night attendance, courtesy of Big East Buckets stat here. We're going to go down the line, three minutes for each, put them on the clock, and we'll talk about what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like. I liked most of the things I saw this week, to be clear. Does that sound like a plan, Ty? Oh, yeah. No, it sounds like a good plan. Um, no housekeeping, really, other than we got to our first Big East game this week. I think that's an interesting note. We went to the banner-raising ceremony at XL Center. So not the first UConn game, but the second one where they played Stonehill. Um, I, Tyler Cassidy, will be at the Georgetown Rutgers game on Wednesday at the Rack. Um, I've never been to the rack, so if you guys have any suggestions or whatever, let me know. And, um, you know, the season's really chugging along. I think Monday really starts a lot of things for us, if we're being honest. Biggest Barroom fans, we are so excited to announce this year that we are working with SeatGeek to bring you a discount for your very first SeatGeek purchase. You can use the code BEBR for a $20 discount code for your first purchase with SeatGeek. Get on SeatGeek. Look for the game you want to go to for your favorite Big East team this year. They have the best prices already. Use the discount code. Save $20. Support us. It's a win-win. You can't beat it. We appreciate you guys. All right. We're going to put three minutes on the clock, and we're going to start with 
your Marquette Golden Eagles, who on opening night sold 16,352 tickets. Now, that's not max capacity because they do play in an NBA arena, Pfizer V, home of the Milwaukee Bucks. But it is the most amount of tickets sold for any Big East team. Uh, three minutes on the clock. We watched the Marquette Ryder game together. What did you like? What did you not like? What jumped out at you? Um, this isn't the way I thought we would do it. I thought we would be going from reverse order, so thrown off. Um, yeah, I think any conversation about Marquette, I would say status quo, but it has to be talked again about Tyler Kowalk's ankle, um, which he twisted at the end of the Ryder game, and he is day-to-day for this Gavit game um, against Illinois on Tuesday. So, you know, I, I've liked everything I've seen from Marquette. Um, their, their defense, again, the first game, you know, allowing 70-plus points to, you know, a team, Northern Illinois, you know, that's not really impressive, but at the same point, I think, you know, they, you kind of saw what you needed to, their five starters are going to be elite at everything they do. And then it's going to be the chase Ross, Ben gold, Sean Jones show off the bench. Um, I think Marquette has every reason to believe they are just as good as last year, if not better. Marquette is one and one in the spread. So they did cover Friday night against Ryder. Although they, there was times when that game was a little closer than they wanted early in the first half. Um, I was really impressed with Osoe Gadaro. And I know that we, I mean, we were incredibly impressed with him last year. He's Big East honorable mention. I believe you might want to fact check me on that. But I was just so impressed with him with the ball in his hands. He had some really nice passes. He had a couple nice drives where he takes the ball himself to the rack. He looks every bit of a NBA draft prospect and his ability to switch one through five is the keystone to that Marquette defense that ends up being one of the four best defenses in the Big East last year. He's such a weapon for them on that defense. Yeah, and Cam Jones scores over 20 points in both games. Um, In my opinion, Cam Jones is on a very similar trajectory that Trey Alexander is on, um, where they are going from being not forgotten about, but the second option on offense um, to being that first option to having first-team talent in the Big East. Um, So, Scoring over 20 points in both games is impressive. You know, I think for a lot of Marquette, it's going to come down to those three off the bench. Um, You know, in that first game, Chase Ross scored 12 points. He didn't miss a shot. And then he comes out in the second game against Ryder. And he, you know, I thought he played pretty well, too. Um, He scored, what is it? What am I looking at? He scored 11 points in that game. So if you get 10, 15 points from those three off the bench, I think that Marquette's going to be in really good shape. I'm struggling to see where they need improvement. Um, I think their defense is the only thing that disappointed me in that first game. Oh, so Iguodaro was second team all Big East last year. Not our honorable mention. want to call that out. They've got Illinois on Tuesday, and they've got UCLA the following Monday. What do they need to do there in order to, uh, you know, continue to impress you? Carry Tyler Kolick around so he doesn't have to walk on that ankle for a few days. I mean – if Tyler Cole looks healthy, I, listen, Marquette's going to lose a game this year because they're going to have an off night. But nothing about Marquette right now outside of injuries fundamentally scares me. Um, and I think that's kind of where I was going in the offseason. You know, that, that there's nothing about Marquette where you're looking at and going, well, they need to get better here. They need to get better here. They will lose games, right? Because that's what happens in the Big East. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here. And unless we see some a trend happen, I'm not going to say, you know, that I'm, you know, we're going to talk about other teams where I'm like, defensively, I'm not sure they have it. Offensively, I'm not sure they have it. I'm not sure that's the same with Marquette. Do they need, quickly, do they need to win both games in order to stay where you have them in the conference? 
No, because even if they lose to Illinois, in my opinion, um, we got to see what Kolek looks like. Um, and he is the you know key that keeps that going. All right, fair point. The second team in terms of attendance opening night would be your Creighton Blue Jays. Don't say nothing about Omaha. They brought out 16,117 fans to opening night. That's 93% capacity of the shy. I uh, I got to watch that entire game. Plus, I watched most of the North Dakota State game. I was so impressed with Trey Alexander. And his both offensively and defensively, I mean, he's like, he's sticking to his man like crazy. The analytics love him right now. I think they have him as a top five defender in the conference. And some of the uh, the strides he made in ball screens offensively, he had two big dunks, one in each game. He had a number of really impressive floaters in the lane. He had a couple turnaround Jays. He looks like a top five offensive weapon in the conference, which is really good news for them after having lost Nemhard and Kaluma. Give yourself credit there, right? Because um, what you just did there in the podcasting, you know, is is called cl- a little clout because you said I think he's a top five player on defense. After earlier today, you tweeted that he was a top five player on defense. So I really like that you were able to incorporate that and act like you came across as not a know it all while still being one hundred percent sure that fact was there. Boys, it's called doing your research. Boys, that's what we do around here. I mean, what for uh, Creighton, Marquette, and UConn for me are in the same boat. What about them scares you that you would say, like, yeah, obviously they dropped the game, but other than health, what about them worries you? So I do. I, have, I, can I answer this? Yeah, yeah, go for it. It's not rhetorical. The only c- concern I have right now is their defense at the one and at the four. Trey Alexander is a very good defender. He and as we just talked about, the analytics love him. Ryan Cockbear is back-to-back defensive player of the year. Baylor Shireman's a perfectly fine defender. He's not going to win any awards. But he's not going to get embarrassed. Who did they play in the first game? Help me out. FAMU? Something like FAMU is. No, I'm telling you, that's what it is. Okay. Um, They purposely attacked Stephen Ashworth in ball screens. They tried to make him into a defender. They wanted to put him into a spot where he had to be, you know, recovering to his man. He doesn't have a lot of length. He's six foot on a good day, I'm guessing. I'm, I'm thinking I might be taller than him. So... But then, you know, the answer to that question is Ryan Cockburn erases. And that's what I was going to say, like a counterpoint. And I know this is probably leaking into UConn stuff. But, you know, when you have a number one guard who maybe isn't the best defender, who cares if they get downhill? Because you have a seven foot two guy behind you that is an elite shot blocker who stays out of foul trouble. I mean, Ryan Cockburner you could have the worst defensive possession. And we saw this yesterday for UConn, right? How many times did a guard get blown by or somebody get blown by? It doesn't matter because they blocked a shot at the rim. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, this is a make or miss league. If they miss enough shots, you're in good shape. So I didn't watch a ton of Creighton. I can't, I don't want to speak on something. I don't know. I did look at all the Trey Alexander stats and tweeted it out. Um, I think Trey Alexander is looking like he could be a player of the year candidate, which I think is amazing news for Creighton. I absolutely agree. I want to throw out one name. Josiah Dotsler in limited minutes really impressed me. He's a freshman point guard. He's not going to play a lot this year, although he might be Ashworth's primary back. Well, I guess Alexander's really his primary backup. Dotsler, I'm really looking at long-term could be a name that we need to know. Yeah. That moves us over to the third. And it's no surprise here in terms of attendance in the Big East. It's your Providence Friars. 
New England fans selling out again. It's 11,069 in attendance. That's good for third in the Big East. Let's put three minutes on the clock. Tyler, you watch more Providence than me. Can you give me a quick rundown? Yeah, so also I wanted a, maybe a little housekeeping. Of you. Like One of the things Ryan and I are trying a little differently this year is to split up a little bit more of the games because it's really hard to watch, especially out of conference, all these games. So if you hear one of us talking, like Ryan knew a lot more about Creighton than I did. Um, just wanted to throw it out there. It's not because we're trying to ignore one team or the other, but we're just trying to split it up because we also have lives on top of this, which is, I know, hard to hear for some people. Um, anyway, I did watch Providence. That first game, Devin Carter stood out to me. Um, a lot of shooting off the dribble, which I thought was going to be way different. You know, he t- took a lot of set shots last year. Um, Jaden Pierre really impressed me in that game, his ability to space the floor. But I will say in that second game um, against Milwaukee, Milwaukee's really good. Um, first of all, they were picked second in the Horizon League. Um, so they are, you know, they're thought of as a well-respected team. I mean, they went with a lineup of Garway Dual, um, Bryce Hopkins, Josh Adoro, Ticket Gaines, and Devin Carter. They went with Garway Dual as kind of their main guard during, down the stretch. And Garway Dual impressed the hell out of me. I've only heard good things about this kid. Um, we've had him on. He looks like an NBA player. I mean, he's 14 points in that game, I believe. The threes that he was making, his ability to pass the ball and rebound the ball as a point guard. Um, are you looking at the minutes for that game by any chance, Ray? I can if you need me to. I'm just interested if Jaden Pierre or Garway Dual ended up having more minutes in that game. Because um, Garway Dual played a ton of really important minutes, especially when they were kind of getting closer. That was a single-digit game for a while. Dual played 24 minutes. Pierre played 29 minutes. So darn so close. Yeah, really close to each other. Um, And they did play together a little bit. They sat ticket games and played um those two together too. Were you surprised at all by the starting lineup of Carter, Pierre, Gaines, Hopkins, and Adoro? I was kind of thinking Corey Floyd or Garway Duell might earn a starting spot. Obviously, they still could going down the line. but Well, I think right now in the early season, listen, let's talk about the reality of the situation. You got ticket gains to transfer here. You promised them something. Like, let's just be real. It'd be really probably a bad look to not start them two games in because if you convince them to come here, I'm guessing there is some conversation about starting role. Um, surprises. Josh Adoro, the way he plays basketball, is incredibly fun to watch. Um, he plays a lot more like Oso Iguodaro than like a Joel Soriano. He is more fluid within his offense. He's able to shoot the three. He's a the thing I worry about is is in Big East play. Um, he doesn't really play physical. And when you play a Donovan Klingon, a Ryan Cockbrenner, or Joel Soriano, I'm interested in how that'll go. I think Providence Marquette games are gonna be much watch games because uh, must watch games because of that. Yeah, no, I was really I was actually impressed by Providence. I thought Milwaukee played really well. Um, I think that when you're talking about a team that could compete for a tournament bid, Providence looks like it. And listen, they have two legitimate pieces coming off the bench. Cause if you name those five and then you go Corey Floyd and Garway Dual, or if you're taking one of those five out and putting them in, you still have set, you're going seven legitimate players deep, um, which not everyone can do. Here's a fun step for you. They took 31, three point shots against Milwaukee. Not in one single game. Did they do that last year under Ed Cooley? And listen, Ed Cooley has a loss this week and Providence does. So objectively. I mean, I'm just talking facts. If you want to hear facts, come to the Big East Bar Room. You afraid of facts and <laughs> figures? I'm bringing facts and figures and everything in between. All right, that moves us over to 
the Yukon Huskies, they sold 10,299 tickets for their opener. That is 100% the capacity of Gamble. That's the first team to hit 100% on our list here. They won't be the only one. But we'll move over to them, put three minutes on the clock. We watched a lot of UConn this week, including at uh, the Excel Center Live. Um, if I'm picking one thing that jumped out to me, it, it's just Donovan Klingon. It's Donovan Klingon's ability to change every aspect of the game every time he's in the game, defensively and offensively. I mean, you have to be aware of everything he's doing. You put him in a pick and roll and let him roll to the rim. He might be the best lob. I mean, Ryan Cockburn is a really good lob threat, but he Klingon's very close to being as good of a, or better lob threat already. And defensively, I mean, he had about eight blocks this week. So that's one thing that I immediately jumped out to me. Uh, if we're going to say other things, Stefan Castle impressed the hell out of me. His numbers might not jump off the page, um, but for a freshman, they do. 14, 5, and 6, I believe, in the second game. This kid does not get rattled. Um, and you can say, well, they're playing Stonehill, they're playing whatever. He, His ability to handle a press, his ability to get to the rim and standard control, I was wildly impressed with Stefan Castle's makeup as it, you know, and his character. Um, kind of like a Garway Dual, actually. Garway Dual really impressed me yesterday with his ability. But you see freshmen all the time. Even Carabin and Klingon last year looked a little bit jumpy at times. You know, they were a little bit, maybe not Carabin as much, but Klingon for sure looked a little twitchy. Stefan Castles had a slow pulse. Um, and I'm really, really excited. I think that that might be, I think right now UConn is better than they were last year at this time, which is wild because they won a national championship last year. Um, and then if, we, if we're going to talk about one more player that really impressed me, um, I thought Samson Johnson really impressed me. He His ability to um, alter shots at the rim despite not being seven foot three. Like you see Samson Johnson come in after Klingon and you're like, oh, this guy's kind of short. And it's like, wait a second. No, this guy's a physical freak. He runs the floor well. And if you're talking about best lob threats, listen, it's two games. I have no idea how it'll translate when you play better competition, but Samson Johnson's caught more lobs than I bet anyone in the Big East right now. Yeah, absolute physical freak. There was one sequence in the game we were at that really summed up his uh, opening week for me. He gets beat, getting leaked down off a made basket, I think. His man, you know, pretty much has a runway to the basket, and Samson Johnson sprints the floor behind him and gets a chase down block. I mean, it takes a physical freak to do that. His defense is not perfect. His rotations are not perfect. He's not always exactly where he should be, but he's able to make up for some mistakes with, I mean, just absolute out-of-this-world athleticism. Right. You got to talk about the rest of that play then. What happens? The guy falls down on the other end. Samson gets up, sprints the floor, and comes down and dunks the ball. I mean, this is, I mean, he's a physical freak. The one thing I worry about UConn, and it's not a worry. It's maybe just a... um. What are they doing right now? They're getting beat a lot in man-to-man pressure. Um, in my opinion, it's because Hurley has said, be a little more aggressive defensively for steals. We have Donovan Klingon behind you um, because he's the ultimate shot eraser. But at the same time, you know, they got beat a few times by Stonehill and people were getting downhill. Stonehill made some incredible shots. But, you know, I did notice that it seemed like some people were getting blown by. But that also happened to UConn last year a lot. Um, You're talking straight design. line drives here. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was noticeable in that game against Stonehill, um, especially being smaller guards. Their their ability to still get into the paint against you know 
their man-to-man matchup. But. Remember that happened last year when UConn lost that game to St. John's especially? Mm-hmm. They were getting blown by like crazy, and then by the end of the year, they figured it out. They have the athletes to figure it out. They have the coach to figure it out. UConn, Creighton, and Marquette, in my opinion, are by far the three best teams in the Big East, and I'm glad we talked about them early. And you got to remember Andre Jackson had that theory always where he would let you go right past him. And then to he'd, block it. Yeah, he'd block you from behind. because That's kind of what the Samson Johnson highlight looks like. It looks like he lets you go by him, and then he's going to time the shot up. Yeah, speaking of physical freaks. Yes. Uh, Jackson, big dunk in the NBA for his first points, professional points. It was really cool to see. Uh, all right, let's move to the fifth in attendance. That would be the Xavier Musketeers, Cincinnati's finest. 10,224 seats sold. That's 100% of the Cintas Center. Um, they go 2-0 this week. They have a little bit of a scare in their first game. Not so much in their second game. They did a little, uh, They were pretty fine. In. But then Desmond Claude puts up the high total of the week, or I think tied with somebody from DePaul. 25 points. Kid's a freak. We saw that coming. He was on both of our lists going into the year. Um, but looks every bit as good as we were expecting. If I were to push back a little bit, that first game, Xavier was really in control for a while. I know the final score ended up, they didn't even cover their spread, um, but they were really in control of that game for a long time. I mean, I don't know. I, I Xavier's that team for me this year, like St. John's was at certain points last year. Like, I'm waiting for someone to, like, almost tell me how to feel about them. Like, I'm like, uh, well, yeah, they won games that they should have, and, like, Quincy McKnight and uh, – not Quincy McKnight. Quincy Oliveri and Davion McKnight, like they're really good. And, you know, I, yeah, it sucks that Jerome Hunter's hurt and Zach Fremantle's hurt, but like, are they actually good? Are they kind of good? Are they going to be what Seton Hall was last year? Like, are they going to be a bubble team? Like what the hell are they? Well, I think it's a great point. I think it's a great question. I think you, if we're being honest, there's people in Xavier's locker room who are probably thinking the same question because they knew who they were with Zach Fremantle and Jerome Hunter. Because even though they weren't going to be on the floor at the same time, I mean, that's one of the best front courts in college yeah. basketball. Zach for Fremantle. Jerome. I think they were going to try them at the same time. I think they were going to try Fremantle at the five and Hunter at the four. They very well may have. Um, without them, who knows what they are. And then they lose Logan Duncombe. And then they lose um, the one named after the tennis player. Billy Lazar Jean Djokovic. King. Billy Jean King. Lazar Djokovic. And now you're down to uh, – Giddis Namexka. I think I've messed up his name, but I mean, you're all around it for sure. All around it. There's a lot of question marks after the injuries. I mean, you have no yeah. question marks on the backcourt, right? I, I know the backcourt is elite. I mean, Desmond Claude, in my opinion, could be all Biggie's first team by the end of the year. Um, Davion McKnight is going to see a different role. He's not, it doesn't look like through the first two games, he's looking to score as much. Quincy Alveri looks like he's going to try to take on more of an Adam Kunkel role where he's going to be our, their, their sharpshooter, get downhill a little bit. Um, two pick know. six in the second game. Two pick six for uh, Quincy Alveri was awesome to see. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I do want to talk. I think it would be – and maybe we should do this with St. John's too with their Gavit Games matchup coming up. Man, do I think – and everybody's like, well, they're not going to lose by 16. What's the worst matchup you can have if you don't have bigs? Zach Eady. I mean, hey, you can say what you want about Zach Eady, but the guy seven foot three was the national player of the year last year. If they had anybody that could, you know, muscle with him a little bit, but they're down bigs. Like, I do you see a world where they can beat Purdue? You know, I wonder if Miller says, okay, I can't match up with Eady straight up. Let's not 
try. And so then he goes small, tries to pull Edie out of paint. He says, I can't guard Edie, but Edie has to guard somebody on the other end also. So it's going to be tough. Obviously, going against the National Player of the Year was never going to be easy. Forget about losing two of your three best players coming into the season. Um, but I don't know. 16 points seems a little disrespectful to Sean Miller. Yeah, I mean, listen, If and the crazy thing is you get Edie in foul trouble, like all of a sudden – this is a game because, like, I don't think Xavier's guards are worse than Purdue's guards. Um, of what are the what are the little guys' names? <laughs> That's not nice. They're taller than me, probably. But what are their names? Um, Smith, Braden Smith. Um, yeah. and then there's another one. Uh, Caleb First still there? I have no idea. You don't want to talk Purdue hoops? My Big Ten knowledge has gone downhill over the last couple of years because we've decided that we're only going to focus on one conference, the only conference that matters, the Big East. <laughs> All right, let's move over to Capitol Hill, the Georgetown Hoyas. So 9,335 tickets. Tyler, that's good for 45% of Capital One Arena. Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer. They have Caleb First and Mason Gillis coming off the bench for Purdue. Remember Mason Gillis? He was on that really good Purdue team. Yeah, they got a good backcourt as well. Anyhow, let's talk Georgetown Hoyas, though, because who cares? Why? I don't. I have actually just finished watching the Georgetown Hoyas loss last night. Um, didn't get to it till this morning, but I did watch the tape because I got to be on here prepared. And I'm ready to pump the brakes on the alarm. Yeah, And I'm ready to tell you you're an idiot. I think people are overreacting. Listen. They lost to Holy Cross, Ryan. This kid. Um, Don't care. Octane. He's Don't care. Go- if he decides this is in his fourth year, if he decides to come back for his fifth year, he's going to get picked up by a P6 school in the transfer portal. Don't care. I'm telling you right now, write down his name. He's going to be in the P6 next year. He might be at Georgetown if, um, you know, Landon Moore shows out, then Thad Vada goes and gets some situation, replays itself. Don't I love care. what I saw from Rowan Brumbaugh. Uh, Jaden Epps had really nice moments, although I, I questioned some of his shot selection. But when he was getting downhill, I mean, he's as big and strong of a point guard as you're going to see anywhere. But frankly, they were winning until the last five minutes, and then they got out-rebounded 10-4 to in the final five minutes, including, Ty, listen to this, seven offensive rebounds in five minutes. They lost to Siena this year, Ryan. Holy Cross lost to Siena before this. They are a bad basketball team. Stop. Listen, I'm – Stop telling me, yes, everybody shouldn't all of a sudden get their career high against Georgetown. This is not a new thing. This has always been a thing for Georgetown. All of a sudden, someone plays really well against them, and we're like, well, you can't blame him. Look at this guy had his career high. It's like, no, this guy sucks. You know what? I understand your point, but sometimes a, a broken clock's right twice a day. A dude's hitting threes, covered threes, hanging in his face all game long. What are you supposed to do, Ty? What was Georgetown like, bad at last year, Ryan? Uh, defense. What did they have struggle with against Holy Cross? Defense. They lost to Siena. You know who's never struggled with coaching defense is Ed Cooley. Okay, it's not the same coach. It's not the same players. So to say just because the jersey's the same means it's the same problem. That's a, I don't get there. Ed, Ed Cooley hasn't proven to me that he can do anything lately. Ed Cooley in the last year has been a bad coach. He went to and the NCAA tournament six months ago, did he? No, I don't give a shit. He uh, asked Providence fans how they feel about Ed Cooley in the last year. Listen, don't ask Providence fans anything. You asked an ex after a breakup, and, yep. and the man was never good to her, right? Yep, okay. No. Ed, Ed Cooley, a damn good coach. Ed Cooley clocked out of coaching at Providence. Then he 
jumped ship and went to Georgetown. Let's just tell it as it is. He and had to take care of Ed. He has like five scholarship players. I think I could play a scholarship player there. This one was for Ed. Forget Coach Cooley. Um, I am concerned a little bit with their fight. A little bit. They lost to Holy Cross. Their what do you mean a little bit? I'm a concerned a little bit. They lost to freaking Holy Cross, Ryan. Their front court's a little concerning. Supreme Crook and Drew Fielder did not cut it. That's how you get out-rebounded so much in the last The Holy Cross! But they got some nice pieces, and they got a really good coach, and that is usually a good recipe. I will say I like Rowan. I thought Rowan played very well in these games. I like Jaden Epps. He's clearly a P6 guard with his ability to get downhill. I think some of his good – his passing decision-making was really good in this game. Um, But, yeah, they just started jacking threes again. They said, oh, wow, who gave us our pregame talk? Was it Primo Spears, perhaps? And we're just going to jack shots. And they couldn't stop that guy. They couldn't stop the one player on Holy Cross who's probably on scholarship. The kid's good. He's going to be in the P6 next year. Mark my words. Write it down. I can't wait. I can't wait to watch him play in Kazakhstan next year when he's playing professional basketball. And you come back and be like, he played professional basketball. (laughs) You're (laughs) next. All right. Let's move to the next team. That's the Seton Hall Pirates. They sold 8,087 tickets for 77% of the Rock. I'm assuming they played at the Rock. Uh, They played at Walsh Gym in their second game. So let's put three minutes on the clock. Tyler, your boy, Kadari Richmond, talk him up. I'm getting another beer. Right. I I mean, listen, the way that you feel about Georgetown where you're trying to talk them up, I feel that way about Seton Hall. Listen, and Ryan's not here, so we don't have to do any fact-checking. When, when I say St. Peter's to you guys, fans at home, you hear tournament success, correct? When I hear, say Fairleigh Dickinson to you, you hear tournament success. What did Seton Hall do to both of them? They eviscerated them. They beat FDU by 30 points in that little gym they have um, off or on campus. Then, well, the game before that, they also beat a team – St. Peter's, an emotional night. Shaheen Holloway coming coming and talking to his old team. They beat him by double digits. I don't care that it's literally the least amount of double digits you can have and still be in double digits. Kadari Richmond, first game, 18-6-7. Then what does he do as an encore for his second game? Kadari Richmond decides to go for 14-7-2. This team is going to go as far as their top three take them. I was impressed by some of their front court play. It's hard to tell because Fairleigh Dickinson and St. Peter's are obviously undersized. I don't know what else they were supposed to do, right? It's Have you seen that meme, right, where it goes strong and independent and then goes broke ass yeah, on one side? Oh yeah. So for me, it says Providence this week had a str- strong and independent because they won one game by 30 and one game by 11. But Seton Hall is broke ass to you because they won one game by 30 and one game by 11. They are going to play rock fight games, but they scored in the 70s both games. This is something that they don't do. I have serious concerns about their front court, obviously. Betty Yako played fine, but, you know, right now you're playing against the smallest guys you're going to play against all season. Kadori Richmond was excellent, right? We can't take anything away from him. Alamir Dawes is a tale of two nights because one night he shoots 5 of 8, the other night he shoots 5 of 15. He had that problem last year where he's jacking up ill-advised shots. Um, I'm not impressed when, with seven minutes to go, you're losing to St. Peter's, who is one of the smallest schools, is 300s in Ken Palm. Um, or 
let's talk about different takes. Shaheen Holloway says in his contract when he buys gets bought out, he says, I'm willing to play games within 15 points. Have you thought about that, Ryan? He uh, says, are you accusing Shaheen Holloway of misconduct? I'm accusing Shaheen Holloway of saying, I want to help the little guy. I'm not accusing Shaheen Holloway of anything. That's a damn good coach, Shaheen Holloway. I don't he is think- a damn good coach, and they have damn good players. This team is so far ahead of where they were last year. I like. I think Seton Hall is a borderline tournament team, and my newest hot take is I think Seton Hall is above Xavier, in my opinion. How about that? I don't think he has a talent. I, I really don't think he has. Why? A- who? Who in the? Who in their starting lineup has not proved it? Other than their one player, Adeyewusu proved it. Kadari Richmond proved it. They have Dre Davis. Dre Davis, dog, dog. They have another week without a serious test before they get to USC at US. No, is that South Carolina? At the University of South Carolina. Jeez. No, that is uh, USC at USC, November twenty third. That will be their first major test. You have another week of buy games coming up. Yeah, but I also. Listen, maybe I'm just the biggest Seton Hall fan right now. I like that. He knew that he had kind of a newer team that needed to get some wins under their belt, and he's doing that. Um, I like everything about what that team has right now. They're going to play rock fight after rock fight. All right. Eighth would be Butler, just for those following at home, with 6,792 tickets sold, 75% of their arena, Hinkle. But we're going to skip it for now because we want to do extra time with Butler. So we're going to move over to Villanova. 6,501 tickets sold. That's 100% of the Finneran Pavilion. Let's put three minutes on the clock. And let's talk everybody's favorite Wildcats. That's everybody's favorite Wildcats. Villanova got two wins this week. Um, They beat American by 27 at home. Um, I believe that was maybe Wells Fargo, Finneran. It's hard to tell when these teams have two. Um, And then they beat LeMoyne by 26. Uh, Almost... Disappointing after what Georgetown did to Lemoyne that they only beat him by 26. Isn't that a little weird? Yeah, they didn't get out to a very good start at all. They were trailing about halfway through the first half. And um, I know some of my Villanova buddies were texting me like, you know, this doesn't feel good. You know, we don't, this night doesn't feel right. And of course they pulled it off. There's just too much talent on that team to be taking ugly losses. Uh, Guys like TJ Bamba showed out. Tyler Burton, 13 rebounds, showed out. Um, Brendan Hawson, Maybe the best three-part shooter in the conference showed out what he goes six of eight from three. Yeah. I mean, just he he was on fire. He was unstoppable. So plenty of talent on the team. Uh, you know, I'm not sure everything's quite gelled yet, but that's what you're gonna get when you bring in that many transfers. Uh but here's what I'll say. Like, I thought what you just said was really interesting. Like, too much talent to have bad losses. They had bad losses last year with I thought a lot of talent. Maybe it's an upgrade to Neptune, right? Maybe Neptune has stepped up his game a little bit. I I think that everything I saw, I would put them as like right below that first tier of Marquette, Creighton, and UConn. Where for me, it's going to be health again. It's going to be health and coaching. So, right? So, it's almost like we have different tiers. Like, I know you're the tier guy, right? But like tier one is like nothing really changes unless health changes, right? Like that tier is going to be pretty much there the whole year. Do you agree with that? That second tier of Providence, in my opinion, Villanova, St. John's, nothing changes unless there's health or coaching deficiencies. Like, that's what I'm looking for for that second tier. Where So I think, like, Villanova is, like, the top of that tier. And as long as 
Kyle Neptune show some growth, which I think he's already shown, um, that I think that there's no reason that Villanova shouldn't just be ranked all year and be right there. And that rolls me right into one of my biggest notes from the game. If you were watching on FS1, their game against Lemoyne, you got to be in the huddle with Kyle Neptune. Now, we got to be in the huddle twice with him. Two very different points in the game. First half and second half. The only thing he said in the entire huddle is, we got to do what we do. Repeatedly. Probably ten times. I don't know if that's the coaching I'm looking for. It was jarring. I know I'm kind of saying this in a silly way. But, like, you know, it was very surprising that that was the level of discourse that was going on in the huddle. When we go into other people's huddles and there's really, you know, really narrowing down on very specific topics. Can I um, interject a little bit on that and push back? Of course. I, I talked to a few people because I clipped a few things last year, which I'm not the clip guy either, but I clipped a few things and some of the, some players reached out to me, former players and said, that the coaches are well aware when the cameras are in their huddle and they say different things. So I hope that we don't get the insight there, but I also will say it was confirming last year when I watched that Tony Stubblefield game, it was, I don't think Tony Stubblefield's a good coach and that kind of confirmed it for me. So maybe we just didn't get to see what Neptune actually was saying. And I'll hope that, um, but he says, we do what we do. And then look at some of the clips that come out of that game of five people on the floor at a given time. So you're saying they did what they do? Well, Villanova is the most culty team in the Big East where they believe in their culture above everything else. They don't believe in – they're almost bigger than a basketball team. They're an institution, right? Yeah. So they believe in what we're going to do, what we're going to do, what we're going to do, our morals, our principles, and everything like that. Maybe that's what Neptune's trying to drill into them. We are Villanova. We dive on the floor. We – back people down and we clap when the referees make a bad call. Like we, we pump fake, we pump fake, we pump fake. Like maybe that's kind of what he's trying to say during that. But yeah, you never want to hear your coach just saying we do what we do, baby. <laughs> uh, here's a quick stat. Brendan Hawson and TJ Bamba are shooting 64% from three. The rest of the team is shooting 25% from three. Is that sustainable? No, you need the rest of the team to step it up. Hawson and TJ Bamba can't carry the team in shooting like that the entire year. You know, you're saying on record that TJ Bamba and Brendan Hausen will not be shooting above 60% by the end of the year from three. Listen, everybody's got to go out on a ledge every once in a while. This is my... Right, if I ever go out on a ledge, just push me because that's why I'm out there. All right, that brings <laughs> us to our next team. That's the St. John's Johnnies. They sold 5,602 tickets. Tyler, that's 100% of Carnesecca. Let's talk about the Rick Patino effect. Three minutes on the clock. They only played one game this week. They did beat Stony Brook, although, you know, the game was a little closer than they wanted it to be for a while. Chris Ledlam seemed like he was everywhere. I was not so familiar with his game before I saw that. But I think he finished with like 13, 14 rebounds. Like he, he was insane. And of course, Joel Soriano gets another double double, nails two threes, his first two attempts. Not his first two makes, his first two attempts in his career. And he makes both of them. You beat Stony Brook by 16 points at Carnesecca, the first game of the Rick Patino era. I mean, what do you. I was surprised Jordan Dingle came off the bench. If we want to talk about things, maybe that's because of the injury. But then he ends up playing more minutes than the starters. So, um, 
don't really understand what that would be about. Um, yeah, I mean, Dennis Jenkins really impressed me. I mean, Dennis Jenkins almost has a triple-double in that game, 17-8-7. Um, Ludlam had 14 rebounds. Joel Soriano, I laughed at people who were like, well, he's going to take a step back because this team is going to be so good. I mean, no. Joel Soriano doesn't take a backseat to anybody. I mean, he is that guy. He is that player. Um, I don't know. A t- you know, a team like Stony Brook shouldn't be sticking around um, in that game. And that was, you know, it was a 16-point game. I mean, at Carneseca, you have all the hype in the world. Listen, the only thing about St. John's I'll say is nothing matters until Monday, right? Until they play Michigan on Monday, um, tomorrow. We have no idea how to feel about them. This game was kind of just status quo. I agree. And you want to talk about a team that could have used a second game in their opening week with the number of transfers they have. And they had a lot of defensive breakdowns. Um, You know, Rick Patino said, uh, you know, effort won't be the issue. It wasn't the issue. It was just miscommunications and guys not sticking with their man, you know, missed rotations. You really would have liked another warm-up game before you see Michigan. I think it's going to be a really tall task for them to take on a Michigan Wolverine team with, um, you know, a good amount of continuity, not, Amazing because they lost Dickinson and they had two guys go pro. But it's not like St. John's where it's a complete rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know enough about Michigan this year. Like, I can't speak on them fluently. Um, they're ranked 35th in Ken Palm, where I believe St. John's is ranked 60th. So we're talking about a, a pretty significant difference. Um, listen, this is their first chance. Uh, you're going to get an opportunity to beat a power six school. Go beat them. And I start to believe a little bit. It's at Madison Square Garden. Like, you have – this is what you've talked about. Patino says, I want to play all my games at Madison Square Garden. Go go win a game then, bud. Like, you got to go beat a team that is – they were, like, favored to win. And if you don't win it, I don't want to hear the excuse of we have a bunch of transfers. You've put the pressure on yourself. You have five years to coach this team. Figure it out. First off, game is is a pick So they're not favored to win. Secondly, my concern level if they lose is zero. They're going to get better as the year goes on. This is a really tough task this early in the season. You're also a diehard Holy Cross fan over there saying, Georgetown played a really good team. This team made Division One last year. Congratulations. I wish you knew ball. Okay, it would make my job easier if you knew ball, but you don't, so. Well, I mean, I'll, I'm getting there, but if Rick loses, I think I think we should talk about it. I don't think we should uh, be like, they have nine transfers. Well, they have nine transfers by design. Um, and that brings us to our last Big East team in terms of attendance, it is no surprise. No, no, no. We are not a DePaul slander podcast. It is your DePaul Blue Demons. 2,940 tickets sold. That's 28% of Wintrust. Think about how devoted those people were. They're the only team below 40% uh, capacity. Tyler, you took the DePaul assignment. Bless your heart. We appreciate you. Can you give us some insights? Ryan, first of all, let me talk about attendance. I believe in quality. I don't believe in quantity. You want to put out your 10 best players? I'm going to put out my best player. And that's what DePaul did. They said, we're going to put out my one best player versus your 10 best. Second, Jalen Terry didn't play. If we're going to talk at all about any semblance of um, excuses, Jalen Terry didn't play. Second, Purdue Fort Wayne, a wagon. Zach Eady, not on Purdue Fort Wayne, but still. A wagon won their next game by 90 points. Yeah, I mean, was that a D1 opponent? No, thank you. Andrews College is not a Division One point 
and I don't like that you're looking at my Google search history, is Andrews a Division One employment um, opponent? Um, yeah, I mean, just about as bad as you can get. Ryan, if I ask you a question, what did DePaul need to work on in the offseason? Yes, Ryan. It's defense. Ryan, I don't think you went back and watched the DePaul game, and I don't blame you, the first one. The amount of times where I looked down for a second and looked up and all of a sudden Purdue Fort Wayne was dribbling the ball and no one was in front of them because it was another fast break was jarring. Like they, the amount of slam dunks that the other team had was incredible. Um, DePaul is the worst team in the Big East by far. It is not close. They have Deshaun Nelson, who is fun. They have Odin, who is actually a lot of fun. Jeremiah Odin, who is a lot of fun in these games. Chico Carter can hit some threes. They have a chance to lose every um, in-conference game this year. And that's really sad to me. But they, I, if you gave me a bet right now, I think it'd be minus 110 to minus 110 of 0-20 in-conference play. Yeah, if they can – if Georgetown can beat them both times, Seton Hall and Butler, I don't know where they're getting wins. No, I don't either. Um, Tyler, what do you think about the status of Tony Stubblefield's job? Tony Stubblefield should have been fired last year. Um Listen, again, it's sometimes hard for me because, like, you don't want to ever get personal. Like, this guy has a life. Like, I don't want to be like, hey, Tony Stubblefield, he deserves to be homeless and, like, without a job. But at the same time, if you're not living up to your job, you shouldn't have it anymore. This team really, really needed some defensive identity. And I'm not saying everyone needed to be the best defensive player, right, skill-wise. But there's no emphasis on defense on this team either i mean you just have like like it was insane to watch some of the things that you're watching um elijah fisher played really well if you want to talk about some positive things especially against uh long beach he scored 25 points off the bench i believe um they're gonna lose a ton of games and i it really like hurts because like i want to paul to be good like they're the team where i'm like just catch up just catch up just catch up and i there, there's nothing going on. It was, it was really like upsetting for me at certain points, which is wild. Why would I care? Yeah. Well, on that note, we're gonna go to a quick commercial break, but hang around. We're gonna talk Butler Bulldogs. They're our team of the week. We're gonna put five minutes on the clock, and we're we're gonna go over that squad. So stick around. Big East fans, if you are looking for the newest in apparel, you need to check out Diamore Designs. This company will give you sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, shirts, anything you want that is custom designed. If you want your bachelor party or if you want your rec sports team to stand out, you need to go to Diamore Designs. It's diamoredesignsquaresite.com. They're the best in the business. They will get you your personal orders out as soon as possible. We've worked with them repeatedly and they have given us everything we needed and more so big east fans show them some love get out there everything you do helps us but it also helps them so dmr square site all right and that just leaves one team left that's our butler bulldogs they're our team of the week we're gonna put five minutes on the clock and we're talking about thad matter i am glad to talk thad let me say that uh, they went 2-0. and They beat the spread both times. They're one of only a couple teams in the Big East to do that. Not only did they beat the spreads, but they demolished the spreads. This was easy money if you were betting Butler this past week. And they had a number of players that really stood out. 
I think that the first one I would go with here is Pierre Brooks. We kind of knew what he could be because he was a four-star recruit to Michigan State. Anybody who's going to Michigan State as a freshman is obviously very talented. But there's always questions when he's transferring over to the Big East, you know, and to Butler. Why is he coming over? He looked fantastic. He looks I – mean, first off, he's built like a P6 player, strong, tough, athletic, and he had so much success getting to the rim. He's going to be a force as a wing in the Big East for as long as he chooses to stay in the Big East. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it with Pierre Brooks. I think he is – that backcourt or wing court, I guess – of Telford and Brooks is going to be incredible. Um, if if I was going to pick someone who stood out, Posh Alexander, he averaged 13 and a half points over this week. Um, in the quietest 13 and a half points, you know, he was just, he hit some mid range shots. He had some layups. He works well in an offense when he is not the number one scoring option. And that's what he was for St. John's, you know, a few years ago. And then he became kind of higher up and higher up. People thought he would evolve, but their leadership that he showed, I mean, what what's not to like about what Butler did this week? Uh, you know, like like they won a game by forty and they won a game by like thirty five. And let's give a quick shout out to our guy Finley Bizjack, friend of the pod, who scored his first points in college. Had a number of really nice looks, drives to the rim, couple nice passes. Not just saying this because he was nice enough to come on the podcast, but he looks like he will have a future in the Big East. And if he was to stick around, he could develop into one of the better players in the Big East. I would venture. If Finley Bizjack didn't come on the podcast, I'd only say mean things about him, actually. That's always been you. Yeah. Now, I, one question I do have watching the games. Posh Alexander isn't a shooter. He did. He made a couple shots, but he's not a shooter, right? Uh, Thomas is clearly not a shooter. Telfort can shoot, but he's not a great shooter. Brooks can shoot, not a great shooter. Obviously, DJ Davis is a fantastic shooter. That's a different conversation. I have some questions about spacing. There was times when, you know, it was very bunched in. Obviously, you're playing against smaller opponents, low majors, and you're able to make that work. But against other Big East squads, I think that might be their biggest problem going forward. Yeah, I mean, they are – in some ways, they all play the same position. So, Telfer, Brooks, um, Finley, like some of these guys, like they all play the same position. So – yeah, I worry about it too. My biggest worry is was not going to be changed no matter what. I don't know how they match up with the size of the Big East um, at any given point. Right? Andre Screen hasn't missed a shot. True seven-footer. There's like six true seven-footers in the Big East this year. He's one of them, and I think he shot 10 of 10 this week. How about that? Uh, I Listen, hey, maybe. And maybe, maybe there's nothing he could do about that, like, because he was playing lesser competition. Like, yeah, what do you want him to do? He needs to make every shot that he takes. I'll believe it when I see it against some biggest. Um, they have a Gavit game, I think, right? This Not this week, but next week? Friday night this week, Michigan State at Michigan State. Michigan State just lost to? Um, a really bad James Madison team or a really good James Madison team, depending on how you feel about them. What do you think the spread's going to be and what are you looking for? Yeah, so Michigan State, it's, at, it's in Lansing. I believe so. Yeah, they're going to be double-digit favorites. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, Michigan State looked bad, but I think people really like to jump on, this team's bad, this team's bad. Michigan State should have their way. Their guards are really good. But Michigan State, I don't think, has a lot of bigs. I think they're more Hogard, um, 
like some of their guards are pretty good, but they're going to match up in wings. I'll tell you that for sure. I There's nobody on Butler that you look at and it's like they're a defensive liability, right? Yeah. I mean, they're all built like Big East players. Pasha Alexander obviously has, you know, made his career in the Big East. Pierre Brooks is built like a freaking linebacker. Jamel Thomas is 6'11". Jamil Telfort is a big fella. Uh, Andre Screen's a true seven-footer. They shouldn't get bullied just because Michigan State is, you know, one of the top teams in the country. I think I, they got a chance. I mean, listen, that was like the biggest – I put it up there. Um, and that was the biggest upset people were saying. Butler could beat Michigan State. You're playing in East Lansing. Good luck ever because it's just – that's just a team that is going to be playing at home. Um, but James Madison just beat Michigan State at home. So – Figure it if, out. If you're picking one Butler guy to have a career night to lead them to a win, who do you think it's got to be? Jameel Telford. I'm Jameel Telford, in my opinion, um, is the most talented player on that team. Uh, even more than Pierre Brooks, I think he is a bona fide bucket getter at any given time. And his physical makeup, that he's a linebacker. I mean, that guy is – it was funny. I, I mean, I'm not to go on a tangent at all, and, but when we were at media today, right, like when – some of these guys I was looking at, I was like, wow, they're really thin. Like, like very thin. When I walked by Jamel Telford, I was like, oh, that's not a, a kid, college kid. Like, that's a grown-ass man. Like, he was a big guy. He looks like he could play football. Um, So, yeah, if Jamil Telford goes off and Jamil Telford, you know, bodies some people, I think we could be in really good shape. Yeah, he almost looks like a tight end to me. Like, oh, yeah. Tall, big, strong. Him and Dylan Adeyawusu, like, fighting would be, like, an interesting fight. <laughs> um, interesting. You, tougher. you know, how do you – physical specimen. How do they let him go to Northeastern his freshman year? And he balled out. Right. He balled out. I mean, like, didn't he average, like, 16 points a game at Northeastern? No P6 school gave him an offer? I mean, he's 6'8 and can shoot the ball? That's because he played football for four years in high school, and he decided, decided his senior year he needed one more gym credit, and he played basketball. <laughs> he watched that Will Smith movie with the CTE. Concussion, and he was like, oh, shit, I'm going to play basketball instead. Uh, Dude, why? Who do you think is the – who's the X factor to beating Michigan State? EJ Davis gets hot. You can't guard him at the half-court line. If he hits five or six threes – that's a lot of points. And uh, and then their defense plays well. You know, you keep Michigan State to a low total. I think that's a recipe. I mean, I hope so. I think this if they get into a rock fight territory, they're not going to – I don't think they can just outslug them. I don't think they can win this game in the 70s or 80s. Um, no, I no. Mean, they have, their defense has to show up. Yeah. Well, they have they have the athletes to do that. I just don't know about their bigs. Um, Jalen Thompson, Andre Screen. Glow-up game. Loved what I saw from screen. All right, that wraps it up. That's 11 teams. That's your first week of the Big East Barham 2023-2024 edition. Tyler, you want to say something? No, my dog is currently climbing all over me. Um, This was a great week of basketball. I think that we are, you know, we're going to find out really quick what the Big East is about right now. Um, Are they a four-bid league? Like where their top players are going to be the, like kind of in the years past? Or are they seven deep where St. John's is going to handle Michigan and Butler is going to compete with Michigan State and we are a, you know, six, seven bid league? Or are we saying, you know, our four best are whatever and hopefully other teams can, you know, we can get one more in? Yeah. Well, we're going to find out very soon, tomorrow night, uh, Madison Square Garden, Big East basketball, Tower Six opponent, 
Doesn't get much better than that. We waited a long time to be able to say that. Without a doubt. And as always, thank you for pulling up a stool.